Good morning, my friends. Welcome today to our online internet church service. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and I'm so happy that you're here today joining me as we're going to go into the Word of God and have a spiritual feast of steak and potatoes, uh, just receiving the meat of God's Word. Praise God. We're going to have a good time. I'd like to read a scripture to you today from Mark chapter 14, and let me just read a few verses verse 3 through 6. I want to get particularly the verse 7 today. We're going to receive the holy tithes and offerings, but let's understand God's will for, for us financially, because your finances are an important compartment of your life. It's not everything in life, but it is an important area of your life, and it's an area that God wants you to be winning in. He wants you to win in every area of your life, in your finances, in your health, in your career, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family. He wants everything blessed and working right. So we always want to give attention to this particular area as we honor the Lord by bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Now, listen to this, Mark chapter 14, verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Verse 6, But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Now, this is very important what he's going to say, verse 7. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. Now, the statement, for you have the poor with you always, let's talk about that just a little bit. First of all, it certainly doesn't mean when Jesus said that, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to be poor that you need to be poor. That's not what he's talking about. He said, for you have the poor with you always. Now, <clears throat> Pastor Stephen, why do we, why, why will we always have poor people? Because poverty is a spiritual problem. It, is a, it has a spiritual root, and you can't fix poverty just by throwing money on it. That's been tried many, many times, and it's proven that that doesn't work. There was a, a wealthy businessman uh, a couple of decades back who lived in Louisiana, and he was very wealthy, and he saw the impoverished ghettos, and he had a heart to help the people. So what he did, this is a true story, he built several apartment units, brand new, and uh, these are apartment complexes. So each complex, you know, you know, with a whole bunch of apartments. So he builds two of these giant units with lots and lots of brand new apartments, brand new washer dryers, uh, new dishwasher, new microwave, you know, complete kitchen, very, very nice apartments. And he goes to the ghettos and he tells the people that he's built these. And he says, he says, you can have an apartment for free and moves people in for free. They can, they can just move in for free. Why? He, he has a heart of compassion. He wants to get people out of poverty. Well, he moves them all in, and, uh, you know, the, the people move in. The apartments are filled up with it just in a few days because he's giving them uh, a free apartment. 
And, uh, you know, he, he came back to check on the situation just a few months later because he was a businessman who traveled and stuff like that. But he came to check on it, and the whole place, both, both complexes within just a couple of months were just torn to pieces. The people that were impoverished did not know what real value is. So if given something nice, they don't know how to distinguish value, so they didn't take care of it because they didn't take care of the things that they previously had. And, you know, they found all kinds of things that were unusual. They found clothes in the microwave because the people didn't know how to use a microwave. Maybe this is how we dried the clothes. And then you would think, no, that's not, that couldn't be the case. But you'd be surprised. But really, the places, the, the, the units were just run down, broken down, and uh, they were just already falling apart because of abuse, wrong treatment, and the people just not caring. Poverty is a spiritual problem. There are certain countries that have had billions, not, not millions, not, a hundred, not hundreds of thousands, but billions of dollars poured into their infrastructure, into their economy. And you know what? Even after billions of dollars, the nations today, those nations are no better today than what they were before that money ever showed up. And you would think, well, can't, can't a couple of billion dollars fix something? Well, you can't, you just can't fix a spiritual problem with a physical thing. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. You know, this is, this is an important truth. You don't escape from poverty through receiving. Isn't that amazing? You don't escape, you don't get out of poverty through receiving. You escape poverty through giving, and that is a biblical principle. You know, if you really want to help somebody who's impoverished, you're going to have to work with their thinking. I know what I'm talking about, because I grew up in the poor state in the nation, and you're talking about lagging behind. Uh, we lag behind the other states, and you know they're they're at the, how can we say at the bottom? There are some certain states that are consistently at the bottom. Well, our state was uh, w we held the bottom place quite well when I was growing up, and uh, we we, uh, we we struggled. You know, the church I grew up in, everybody was struggling financially, and it, it wasn't a good situation. So I know what it was like to be raised like that. Those of you that are in other countries outside of America, I just let you know, just to let you know, there is poverty in America. I, I know that you may see pictures of Manhattan. You may see the glitzy pictures of Newport Beach, California, or LA and all of that. Just need to be a little more real with you. We do have impoverished areas in our own nation. And for me, growing up in a situation like that, uh, I had to let the Word of God work with my mind. I had to really get my thinking straightened out. This is why you're always going to have poor people, because if you're raised in, in, in an environment of poverty, uh, and those people don't get the tools they need, they can be stuck in that for the rest of their life. They may never break out. Very, very interesting. You know, there is an element of compassion where you want to help people, and uh, there is a place for giving. But if a person is hungry, and you give them a fish, and I'll do that, I'll, I'll get them a meal, but eventually after I give them a meal of fish, 
and another meal of fish. Eventually, I'm going to hand them a fishing pole and a net, and I'm going to say, this is how I'm getting the fish. Why? Because if I feed them a meal, that's just meeting their, their need for that moment. But if I teach somebody how to fish, well, now, now they can begin to not only meet their own needs, but now they can catch extra fish. And now they could even give a fish. It's very interesting. You don't escape poverty through receiving. You escape poverty through giving. I think it's very important for those that would be in poverty is to teach them a job skill. This is why you're always going to have poor people. Jesus said that. For you have the poor with you always. You know, a Jewish father growing up in the time of Christ, a Jewish father would be considered an absolute failure if he did not teach, particularly his son, a viable job, trade, or skill. So, this is something that I believe that outside of the educational system of how to, you know, learning how to read, learning how to write and do arithmetic, you need to, you need to be, as parents, you need to try to identify that natural gifting or talent that would be in your child and already steer them towards that area of their gifting and plug them into a, a, a trade skill or a job skill even from an early age. Now, those of you watching from Germany, I know that you're already familiar with this because uh, even from uh, uh, what we would call ninth grade in America or the beginning of high school, uh, there in Germany, you can also opt in your education for, for more of a trade skill type orientation where they're already plugging you into a trade and you're already learning something that when you finish high school, you're ready for work. I mean, they're, they're ready to grab you. Why? Because you've got skills. So, with the poor, you're always going to have poor people. Why? They, they have, there's, there's no job skill. There, there's no specific area of expertise. So, they're stuck. They're stuck on a level of poverty. But I believe the most important thing to help bring people out of poverty is to lead them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you become born again, when you become a believer, there's something on the inside of you that says, I I'm glad you're handing me a fish, but I want, I want to know what that thing in your hand is. What's that? Oh, that's called a fishing pole. Yeah, that thing, teach me about that. There's the nature of God that is created within the child of God when they're born again. You're made in the image of God, and you want to, you want to tap into the things of God. Praise the Lord. So, destiny begins to unfold. The path that God has for your life begins to unfold in its fullness through the initial experience of salvation. Praise the Lord. And of course, upon salvation, you, be, you begin to get into the Scriptures, and you find out that the Scriptures, the teaching and the application of the Word, holds the key to your financial prosperity. Praise God. But, but without knowing these things, the knowledge of God's Word, a person can stay all of their life locked up in poverty. And that's why you'll always have poor people. Why? It's a spiritual problem. Not knowing, not knowing the goodness of God, not knowing the power of God, not knowing God's good plan for your life, and not having 
knowledgeable tools of how to tap into all of this. Remember, it says in the Word of God that my people perish for lack of knowledge. It doesn't say my people perish because they haven't prayed enough. It doesn't say my people perish because they haven't done a 40-day fast. It says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. That's why you'll always have poor people. There is a basic lack of knowledge of God's Word, God's will, God's kingdom principles, God's economic system, how it operates, the law of faith, and without knowing about the basics, you can really, really struggle. But you know what? All it takes is a great teacher, a teacher of righteousness, to go into a rural area, an impoverished area, and to begin to open the Bible and say, this is how you come out of poverty. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And that's what Paul did with the church of Macedonia, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, he explained to the church in Corinth that the Christians in Macedonia were so, so moved in their hearts to give that even in their impoverished situation, they took up a very, very gracious offering and gave it towards the need of the saints in Jerusalem who needed some uh, financial relief. Praise God. Now, now, now people that don't understand God's ways people that don't understand how to get people out of poverty, they would tell the church in Macedonia, oh, you don't need to give, you don't have anything, so let somebody else do it. No, Paul received the offering. Paul taught them about sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest, giving and receiving. That's how you come out of poverty. See, man is naturally very need-based from the perspective of we have a need mentality, but God's different. God has a seed mentality. When, when you and I are thinking about a need that we need met, God is thinking about a seed that we need to sow. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you don't come out of poverty by receiving. You come out of poverty by giving, and that's that's how you break out of that spiritual bondage of poverty and begin to get over into the area of abundance, breathing room, overflow, happiness, and joy. And I tell you what, you begin to work the Word, God can turn this thing around quick. But outside of that, that's why we have poor people. That's why, and that's why there's always going to be poor people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we can give to the poor. And I, uh, my wife and I, we do do things to reach out and try to bring relief into the life of those who are poor. But remember, if you really want to help them, it's more than just giving, giving, giving. It's give and also give them a little booklet. Give them a, something that they can take and read or, uh, or, or something like that so that they can begin to turn the situation around. Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus who came with His Word. He sent His Word, and the Word brings deliverance, salvation, salvation, full deliverance in every area of your life. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the teachings of Jesus. We thank You, Father God, that there is a place to give and to help. There's a place where uh, maybe in our own lives we need it to receive because we needed some help. And Father, you touched the hearts of people, and they, they gave, and we were blessed. But Father, we thank You that there's also a place where in order to come out of being in constant need, You teach us to be 
givers. And Father, we thank you we find what real joy is. Because you said, your son Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So, Father, we thank you because the giver can also receive a harvest. Oh, Father, we give you praise. Hallelujah. So, Father, let us work your kingdom dynamics. And we thank you that poverty has no access into our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Now say this. Say, I'll never be poor another day in my life. Say it again. Say, I'll never be poor another day in my life. Say it one more time. I'll never be poor another day in my life. Hallelujah. You know too much. You know too much. You'll never be poor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, let's bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of God. Those of you that are mailing your tithes and offerings in. Now, remember when I say a tithe, for those that are new in the Lord, I'm not talking about one of these. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a tithe. But a tithe, T-I-T-H-E, is 10% of your income. And we see in Scripture that when we tithe, we, we get anchored into the financial covenant. Ooh, glory to God. Mm -mm. Did you ever notice that finances don't respond to fasting? Isn't that interesting? If, if, if they did, don't you know that Bill Gates must be the fasting champion? Even, even finances technically don't even respond to prayer. If they did, Warren Buffett would be a prayer champion. He, he must be praying 10 hours a day. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It works by principles. And as a believer, you can tie into a financial covenant, and it's based upon seed time harvest, Genesis 8.22, and anchored, of course, also on the biblical principle of tithing. Ooh, glory to God. Bringing 10% into the storehouse of God so that God's work may flourish, and God touches your 90% and carries you into abundance. Praise God. Praise God. Bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. If you're mailing them in, Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, our zip code 28654, 28654. If you happen to send it to the old address in Mooresville, we'll, we will still get it. That, that P.O. Box is still checked daily, but we now have the new ministry headquarters address here in Moravian Falls. Now, if you'd like to bring your tithes and offerings in online, which many of you do, please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings, Sow and Reap, and you can go there right now and honor the Lord with your giving. Hallelujah. Prosperity. Prosperity is your portion. You're not supposed to be poor. You're not supposed to be poor. If you're poor, it's because <clears throat> somebody hasn't told you the truth. A preacher perhaps hasn't explained the scriptures to you, or you have received wrong information. Praise God. But that's why I'm here to minister the good word of God to you and reveal your true inheritance package in Christ, and it includes your needs being abundantly met. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know what? 
I even believe that an aspect of holiness is having financial strength. I think, I think there's something about poverty where there's uncleanness associated with it. Real poverty, you can't even take a shower. Real poverty is, uh, you might not even have any clean water. You might not even have any water at all. You know, just a muddy river or something like that. I think, I think holiness, there's, there's an element of cleanness. Now, we think holiness, we think moral purity. But I, I think holiness also includes, when you examine it, just cleanliness, cleanness. And I think there's something about poverty that is not holy. I think there's something about poverty that's dirty. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mm -mm. When you see the trash heaps of Calcutta, India, and you see children living on piles of garbage, you don't think this is holy. You think this is unclean. And it is. Disease-ridden, germ-infested. What a mess. Poverty is not your portion. Holiness is. Glory to God. Your life clean, your life blessed, hallelujah, and you extending that relief and help into the lives of others. Glory to God. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me out of poverty. Hallelujah. I, I thank the Lord for a nice vehicle, for comfortable clothes, nice clothes. I thank the Lord for hot showers and clean linens to lay on on a nice bed. Praise God. The Lord is good. Praise the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, bless your people. We thank you that prosperity is their portion. They'll never be poor ever again. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Stephen, what did Jesus mean when he said, Blessed are they who are poor in spirit? Well, he didn't say poor in finances. He said poor in spirit. <laughs> Poor in spirit basically means you're needy. You need God's help. You're not reliant on your own strength, your own intellect, your own ability. You, you, you use that to the best that you can, but you also realize you're still short. You need God's help. You need a Savior. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It doesn't say poor in your wallet, poor in your, in your checking accounts. Praise God. Hallelujah. Prosperity is your portion forevermore. Now, today, let's go to Psalm 75. And I want to talk today about giving the Lord your very, very best. Praise God. What happens when we give the Lord our best? What kind of indicators does God give as a pat on the back that He recognizes, literally, that you're giving your best? I mean, it's amazing. Just like a coach, just like a coach on a sporting team Let's say a football game, the player can come off the field having completely exerted himself and, you know, gave his best. And the coach can pat him on the back and say, you gave your best. What happens when God does that? Mm. Praise the Lord. How do you know when God's pleased? Let's talk about that. I think it's a fascinating subject as revealed in God's Word. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we go into your Word, that your Word would break forth with light and illumination that your Holy Spirit would shine upon the Word, that we can see it, take it, and apply it to our lives today and throughout this week. We thank you, Father God, for it. We thank you for the illumination of your Spirit in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 75, verse 6. For exaltation 
Now, I like, I like the King James Version on this one. The King James says for uh, promotion. But it's the same thing, exaltation or promotion. It's the Hebrew word harim, and it means to rise, to raise, praise God. Watch this. For exaltation or lifting up comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts. Now the word exalt here. It's the same as in verse 6 about exaltation, a raising or a lifting up. And it says, He puts down one and exalts another. Very, very interesting. God is able to lift you up, but you need to give your best. And if you give your best in your service unto the Lord, in your walk with God, God will reward you. But if you hold back on God, and you give God second best, third best. It's just like the coach. He can tell when the player, the athlete, who's under his tutelage, he can tell when the athlete is not giving their all. Or, you know, just kind of like taking it easy. And you know what? You can, you can sometimes even see that on pro levels. Because even on a pro level, pro level football, you know what? It's a, it's a violent sport. It's a contact sport. It's not like you walk out there every time and you want to just, you know, have like another, you know, another train wreck. Well, you know, you, you have to, you have to motivate yourself. You have to have your heart right. And you have to be, you have to be in a place where you rise up, you rise up. And the good thing about it, of course, is God's not going to ask you to do something or you're going to injure your body. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying God's anti-football, but I, I, I really do believe that the Lord would never want you to do something that's going to destroy your brain cells. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. But when you give your best, mm -mm, when you give your best, God sees it, and He's able to promote you and lift you up. I think there's many different contexts of how we could go with this. You know, giving your best at work, giving your best for the company. You know, if you're there for eight hours, giving a full eight hours and putting your best in. But today I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to talk about giving your best to the Lord in the sense of your, your service as unto Him, your obedience to Him, your heart to obey Him, how you, how you respond to the Lord, whether, whether it's quickly or whether you, you, know, you drag your feet. Let's talk a little bit about that today because God has the power. He has the ability to promote you. He has the ability to lift you up, but He needs you to give your very, very best. Now, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51 verse 2. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. Now the word increased means multiplied. So God did these three things for Abraham. He called him, he blessed him, and he increased him, or he multiplied Abraham. Praise the Lord. In other words, God did it. God wants the glory for it. God wants the credit for it. And God has the ability to do this for anybody that serves him and follows him. God is able to lift up. God's able to do the same thing for you. He's able to bless you. He's able to increase you, multiply you. But my friends, the Lord needs you 
to give your very, very best in your service unto Him. I believe that when you read this verse, Isaiah 51 verse 2, you find a verse that removes excuses. Pastor Stephen, the reason things worked out so well for Abraham was just because, you know, he was lucky. It was just luck. It was, it was chance. It was just, you know, things kind of fell together for him. No, it's not. It's not an accident. This is on-purpose lifting. This is God on-purpose distinguishing somebody and lifting them because that person is conforming to the will of God. Praise the Lord. I believe that God has, He has promotion intended for you. I believe He has a lifting up of you to a new plateau, to the next level. But God needs your full commitment. Praise God. You know, if you give God your very best, He will lift you up. But if you give God half-hearted, half-baked efforts, really the only person that you're holding back is yourself. And so you really need to have a heart that is completely devoted to the Lord. Because the Lord sees it when you're not giving your very best unto Him. When I was a junior in high school, 11th grade, I'd already been running now at that time for a couple of years, and I was, I was getting pretty good in, in track. Of course, in America, you have the, the mile and the two mile for those that are, uh, you know, the skinny guys that are going to run the distance events. And that's, that's kind of where I fell, I fell into. I began to run distance. And, um, you know, no threat to the national high school record, but at the same time, I was getting pretty good. And by 11th grade, I, I, I had reached a point pretty much where when I showed up at a track meet with my track team, when we showed up, you know, if it's a big meet or something like that, I, I, I was pretty much going to be in the top three. Sometimes I would win, but if I didn't win, I was a close second, maybe a close third. I had, I had gotten pretty good because by that time, I had invested several years of running. And, you know, I picked an interesting sport to join. My mother was an x-ray um, technician at the hospital. She didn't want me and my brothers to play football because as an x-ray tech, she saw all the football players come in and all the time, high school athletes, college athletes, tore up knees, tore up bodies, even in high school receiving injuries that would plague them and trouble them for the rest of their life. And she said, I don't want you boys to play football. Find something else. Well, I somehow migrated over in the track, track and field, and I started running. Ah, but the thing about track is anybody that's done track, and, uh, track events, as you know, uh, particularly the distance events, uh, it's a daily sport. It's not like you can take a day off. You have, you have to run every single day because it's an aerobic type thing. It deals, it's not muscular strength, like strength training. You can train your muscles one day, the next day you're supposed to rest them. Uh, it's not like that in track and field. You have to keep increasing your anaerobic threshold. And that basically means you need to run as much as you can uh, every day, and sometimes not just once a day, sometimes twice a day, and actually usually twice a day. So I, I found myself doing this, and you know, by 11th grade, I got, I got pretty good at it. But going into my senior year, in the summer, I just kind of took it easy. I, I don't really know why, but I didn't, I didn't go to the next level. 
I just kind of like cruised through the summer, ran very, very lightly. Uh, if I was supposed to run five miles, I, I maybe did a mile and a half. And uh, I just kind of felt confident on maybe some former success and uh, also maybe just felt a little bit lazy. So summer's over, show up uh, to school, and uh, it's time to get ready for cross, uh, cross country. And, you know, which is like a, um, you know, three-mile race. Okay, so the season is about to start, and the uh, first day I show up, you know, there, see my coach again, and he says, Stephen, he said, run to the main road and back. Well, that was our kind of like time trial, and it was one mile out, exactly, one mile back, and I knew what I could normally run it in. I'm not trying to race it. I'm just trying to, I'm just, he wants to gauge where I'm at, and uh, I, you know, I looked exactly the same, but remember, uh, running is not about looks, it's about mainly what your heart can do. Uh, it's about your lung capacity. So the moment I started running out to the main road and back, the moment I started running, I just realized uh, what, what I did over the summer was not good because I knew in my heart I had not given my best, and now I'm not really ready for this upcoming season. And when I got back, um, you know, the stopwatch doesn't lie, and the coach said, Stephen, he said, hey, what happened? He said, you're way off, you're way off your time. I said, oh, coach, I, you know, I really kind of took it easy this summer. And, you know, I'm going into my senior year. And he said, well, he said, we can, we can make up for this, but you're going to have to really work hard. And so we need to go to work immediately on this. So um, I did get back into really good form and, you know, bypassed the times. I certainly ran in the, in the 11th grade, got faster and stuff like that. But you know what? I, I just I remember when he looked at me, he was disappointed because we could have had a foundation already laid that I didn't have to try to like, you know, bake into this later in the game. And I did not give my best. And he knew it. He knew it. And you know what? I knew it also. And uh, I, I think for an athlete, one of the worst things is showing up and in your heart, you know, you're not ready for this. And then, to, to make it worse, knowing that your competition is ready. That's not a good feeling. I think it's the same way like in, in, in music performance. If you're a vocalist, you're maybe competing for a position, and you have not been training, and your, your, your voice is not developed, and you don't have that sharp edge, and you start singing, and you know it, and you know what? The, they'll know it too. And it's just not a good feeling. You always want to go in well-prepared, well-prepared, having given your very, very best. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And I believe in the eyes of the Lord that we need to give God our best. We don't need to hold back. We need to push ourselves. Hallelujah. We need to challenge ourselves so that when our life is finished, and one day it will be, that we actually completed the assignment, the spiritual journey that God had for us. When you think about the children of Israel and their journey out of Egypt, and then uh, into the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, and then finally into the Canaan land, and the crossing of the Jordan, all of that has a spiritual parallel. There is a place that God wanted Israel, His people, to reach. He wanted to get them where? To Zion. And finally, finally, years and years later, David finally took 
from the Jebusites, the area that became known as Zion. But up until that point, it was such a long journey. See, you're going to the same thing. You're going to Zion. You're going to the high calling of God. But the journey is long. The journey is long. You must stay on task. You, you can take a vacation from work, but you don't need to take a spiritual vacation. You need to be on your game. You need to be on your walk with the Lord every single day because it's very easy to drift in this world. And you might not think that you will, but if you shut your prayer life down for, or, or your devotional life down for a week, you know what? You may have, you, you, after a week, you may realize, you know, I, I've drifted a long ways. It's just like out in the ocean. You may think I'm not moving. Well, it might not look like you are, but you're moving. You're floating. The currents are taking you somewhere, and the current of this world will naturally take you away from a, a, a place of being close to the Lord. So for a Christian, your great challenge is to stay close to the Lord and to complete your calling and reach the end of the journey and make it to the pinnacle of the mountain of God, that you accomplish the assignment that God had on your life. It's going to take, it's going to take everything you've got, and you really need to give God your very best and stay close to the Lord. Today I want to talk about how to how to secure your lifting up, how to, how to secure your promotion and your ongoing success in the Lord and in the plan that God has for your life. In order to do this, I believe that the Holy Spirit has given me three things that you need to watch out for and avoid while you're on your spiritual journey. Glory to God. The, the final destination for the children of Israel was not just the Canaan land. Oh yes, you go into the Canaan land and you possess your promises, but it was always it was always a symbolic act of possessing the promises of God, but also getting all the ites out of your heart. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, all the ites, all the enemies, all the things in your own life that you have to overcome, the things externally that God wants you to do, and the things internally in your spiritual journey where God wants you to um, win on the inside. Hallelujah. Where you have victory on the inside. Oh, my friends, there's three things that you need to avoid, you're going to have to watch out for so that you're secure, uh, that you're, that you're secured lifting is stabilized, hallelujah, that you're experiencing the lifting of God, the promotion of God. You're going to give your best, and as you're giving your best, watch this, three things to stay away from. Ooh, thank you Lord Jesus. Let's take a look at the first one. It's found in the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter 2, and let's drop down today to verse 15. Praise God. We're talking about giving God your very best. I believe that that's what the Lord would desire us to do, to give our best, that when life is over, we look back and we say, Lord, we did it. We crossed the finish line. Hallelujah. God's going to get you there. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Catch us the foxes, 
the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. These, my friends, are the little foxes. I think that we could recognize that a ferocious bear is, is something that would be a problem, could hurt you, could injure you. I think a lion walking outside of your house could be a real problem. But the foxes, oh, th those are no problem. Well, you need to watch out for the little foxes. We all are aware of the big dangers. There's areas that you can blow it. Okay, we know that. We're going to avoid that. But you have to also watch out for the little foxes. They're the little things that can spoil the tender grape vines. Ooh, thank you, Lord Jesus. The grapes, they're going to be so good, but we're never going to be able to eat them if these little foxes keep coming in here and ruining our vineyard. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. The, the grapes, the vineyard, the work of the Spirit in your life, something interrupting that. The fruit of the Spirit not blossoming because there's little foxes running around in your life. The gifts of the Spirit not really manifesting strongly because of things gumming up the system. Praise the Lord. The little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes, the grapes symbolizing the fruit, the activity, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Praise the Lord. I know that many of you watch me on the internet. <clears throat> I enjoy the internet. I've got high speed internet, fast download, fast upload. It's all good. I like that. But you know, it's very easy to have a little fox pop up while you're on the internet and you know, you're sitting there trying to watch a good Bible teaching program, and then something pops up on the side. How the pyramids were built. And you know, oh, I, I've always wondered how they built them. And so you click on that, and you know, the next thing you've known, you've, you've, watched, you've watched a program for two hours about how the pyramids were built, and the program concludes with them basically saying, we still aren't quite sure how they did it. Well, little foxes can eat up your time. See, you'll, you'll never meet a poor person who values their time. And you'll never meet a rich person, a wealthy person, who does not uh, know the value of their time. They'll place value on their time. But a poor person, oh, we've got time. You know, let's just watch another show. Let's just kick back. Let's tell another story. And sometimes conversations conversations that just spin and spin and spin and you, uh, you you know what you just you just talk and you talk and I, I, I like good fellowship but there there's a point sometimes it's just like I don't have time to do all this talking I've got a lot of stuff to do <laughs> and some people will just talk and talk and talk why they don't value their time and what they don't realize is that's a little fox Oh, it doesn't mean that you're not friendly. It doesn't mean you're not sociable. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the fellowship of your brothers and sisters or either of other people. But when you're on assignment, when you've got something to do, you need to get it done. And then, then you get it done, and, and then maybe there can be some fun time to kick back and talk and relax. But watch out for these little foxes that will come in there, and they start chewing on the vines of your time. And you have a heart to pray, and you think, well, I, I, I even feel an anointing to pray, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen any TV today. 
I just want to find out what's going on. You turn on the TV, and then three hours later, you turn the TV off. And now that anointing to pray has totally dissipated. Now you're physically tired, and now you just you hit the bed and you fall asleep. And these little foxes, they come in there, and they, they just start to eat up your spiritual vineyard. What happens? I'll tell you what's going on. You're not giving the Lord your best. You're not, you're not giving the Lord your best. And you have to say, look, I'm going to get these little foxes out of my vineyard. I'm going to give God my best. So you, you can't expect the grace of God to always work if you abuse it. If you want to get up early and, and get into the night school of the Spirit and pray. I've taught on that many times. But if you want to get up early and be in that night school, watch this, and be awake so that while you're there for an hour in prayer, while you're there waiting on the Lord, uh, hanging out with God, uh, you know what? You can't stay up till one or one o'clock in the morning just watching, you know, just endless, endless things of TV or sports or whatever it is. You can't do that and somehow think that grace will kick in, the grace of God, so that you can get up and pray. No, my friends, you have, you have to watch out for these little foxes that will just try to eat up all of your time. Praise the Lord. So you need to govern that. If there's any little foxes nibbling on your, on your vines, uh, you know, devouring the grapes, you're going to have to get them out. You're going to have to get them out. Praise the Lord. When you are in night school of the Spirit, let's say you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, you want to give God one hour of prayer. Did you know that when you sit there in those times, and you, you got to sleep, you got to bed at a decent hour the night before. Maybe you got five hours of sleep, maybe you got four, but you got enough strength now to get up and pray for an hour, maybe even longer, and then go back to sleep, get a little rest before you go, have to go up, wake up and get ready for work. But if you get up around four, five, or three, or something like that, whatever works best for you, you and the Holy Spirit work that out. If you get up during those times, scientists have proven, sleep scientists have proven that if you get up during those times and you go sit, your brain secretes a hormone that allows you to sit very, very calmly and very relaxed. And that's why it's so easy to hear from the Lord and pray and sit calmly. Why? It's during that very unique time that your brain will secrete that hormone. Well, Pastor Stephen, how come it doesn't secrete it at 11 o'clock in the morning? Because you're supposed to be working, and God didn't design it to start oozing out of you then. <laughs> Woo! Now, I know there are those that work the night shift. I know that there's many multiple shifts, you know, and so God can work with you if you're on a different system. But I'm just talking to the average person who's working, you know, uh, during the day, and you, you know, you have time to sleep at night and so forth. But that, that hormone will not secrete out of your brain during the day because you're supposed to be working. Praise God. But that, that hormone begins to secrete, and you feel so calm, so relaxed, and you can just sit there. You can sit there for a long time. It's the same hormone that a chicken secretes when she, uh, the hen is sitting on an egg. It comes out of the chicken's mind, out of the brain, excuse me, the brain, and goes to the, the, the bloodstream, sends it through the body, and that's why... Uh, a mother hen can sit on an egg for six hours and think this is the most wonderful thing. And you think, how can you sit there for that long? Well, that's, that's, that's why. You're working with, that, with things that God has established in the human body, laws of nature. Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. But my friends, watch out for the little foxes. They'll do all kinds of things to steal these grapes, these glory experiences, these encounters with God, these, these teaching sessions with the Lord. The, these little foxes, uh, they'll, just, they'll just eat your vineyard up. And uh, you know what? You, you, can have, you can have a life where there's very little fruit. So you have to do something about that. You have to give God your best. You have to give God your best and get all the little foxes out. I know they're cute. I, I know they're nice, but you need to get them out of your life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Right now, the Holy Spirit is showing you the little foxes that are running around in your life. Some of you, you're doing real good. You've got them all out, and you've got a pin up, like a fence up around the, the vineyard of your heart, and they can't get in. But there's some others of you, you, don't even, you have no fence up, and they're, 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 all, they're running all through your vineyard. You need to get them out and put a fence up. That fence is your determination that I will serve the Lord, and this thing is not going to interrupt me. Mm. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I could, I could talk more, but I think you're catching the drift on that. Glory to God. This, this is something that everybody that wants to please the Lord has to face the reality of dealing with the little foxes. All right, let's, let's get them out of our life and keep those guys out. Now, uh, three things. Number one, avoid the little foxes, get rid of them. Number two can be found in the book of Isaiah. Let's go over there. Uh, this will be Isaiah chapter one. I've always loved this verse. I think it's very blunt, very, uh, very direct and to the point. And this would be the word of the Lord. And this is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. If, now uh, the, the sentence starts off by if, so that there's a condition here. If you are willing and obedient, two conditions to meet the attached blessing. If you are willing and obedient, you shall, not that you might, not that maybe. No, no, no. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's just all there is to it. If you are willing and obedient, it's going to go really, really well for you. But if you're not willing, and you hardly try, and you give very, very little effort, and you're just really not into the things of God, but you want to go to heaven, you'll make heaven. But you're probably not going to complete the purpose the assignment, the priority thrust that God had for your life, you're probably not going to get it done. And that was the case for many of the Israelites on their spiritual journey. Many of them failed. Oh, you think about, you think about Reuben and Gad and, uh, you know, the half tribe of Manasseh. They, they didn't even go into the promised land. Soon as they saw the land that we know today as the land of Jordan, they told Moses, whoo, whoo, Moses, this looks really good. I, I know we're just coming out of the desert wilderness experience, and we're supposed to cross the Jordan and go in, but wow, this land right here, just, just before we go in, wow, this is really, really good. This land is great for livestock. This would be really, really good for our cattle. And, you know, Moses didn't want them to do that basically kind of work to deal with them. Uh, you know, okay, look, if you guys want to do this, we'll let you claim this land. It's really, you know, silly. But if you want to do it, okay, you can, you can do it. But you're going to have to come in, with, you're going to still have to, have to cross over and help your brethren take the other areas of land. You can't just stay here and let, it, let the rest go on. No, no. We all go in together, and then after we've done our part, then you can come back and take it. 
But see, here was the problem. Whenever later in history Israel was invaded, where did all the invading armies always attack from? That area. They always came through Gad. They always came through Reuben. Boom! They got hit first. And when they got hit, they got wiped out hard. And if they'd have been on the other side of the river like God wanted them to, now you have, you have a natural buffer of safety. Now, now we have something to work with here where we've, we've got, you know, of course the Jordan River was a lot wider back then than what it is today. There's places that you could almost jump across it. But back then, uh, especially during flood stage, you couldn't even swim across it. So it was a great barrier of protection. But they, they settled on the wrong side. They didn't even go into the promised land. Oh, praise the Lord. My friends, willing and obedient. Willing. I'm going all the way with the Lord. Willing. Your heart fully into it. Glory to God. And obedient. And obedient. Don't let the enemy steal your joy by tripping you up with disobedience. Make up your heart that you're going to serve the Lord. This really comes back to Romans chapter 6, verse 6, of knowing that you have been crucified with Christ. It's really something that you have to know by revelation that, that when Christ was crucified on the cross, somehow, although that was 2,000 years ago, when you became a believer, you were tied into that and in the mind of God the Father, when Christ was crucified on that cross 2,000 years ago, you were nailed on that cross with Him, and you were put to, with, put to death with Him when you were born again. Wow. How about that? Glory to God. And so there needs to be a knowing of that. Absolutely. And that's really what the crossing of the Jordan means. Now, the Israelites coming out of Egypt going through the Red Sea. That is a picture and a type of salvation coming out of the world, and then the, the going down into the sea is a type of water baptism. When I talk about a type, T-Y-P-E, that is a theological term used by the Apostle Paul to represent what we would call Old Testament word pictures, where it was a real event, but that real event also symbolized something that would one day be a spiritual reality. Israel coming out of Egypt is you and I coming out of uh, Pharaoh, Satan's world system, system of the kingdom of darkness being saved. Hallelujah. Delivered. Bye-bye, Egypt. Goodbye, sinful life. Going through the Red Sea, going down into the Red Sea, coming up on the other side. That's water baptism. But see, it's crossing over the Jordan that is really the experience where you realize, I really am dead to sin, and I'm not messing around anymore with this stupid sin stuff that's out there. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to be immoral. I don't want to have anger outburst. I don't want to be an ungodly person. I'm dead to all of that stuff. Doesn't mean anything to me anymore. And that has to be a real experience because the Lord brought them to the Jordan. And when he took them to the Jordan, he said, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt off of you. Oh, <laughs> woo! What is that? That's knowing that I really am done with this stuff. And you tie in the Romans 6 further, and now you reckon yourself dead to all of this. 
And same thing as the Apostle Paul, where he said, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've been nailed to the cross with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that lives, but it's Christ, it's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I don't live it in the flesh, but I live it in, I live. Let me read it. Hallelujah. It's too good. It's too good. And I think I'm, 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 I'm stumbling over my words because I'm excited about it. And I want to read it. Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. The crossing over of the Jordan River. Galatians 2. And that, my friends, is going to be verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So he realized that he had been crucified with Christ, hung on the cross, and there's a reckoning yourself dead to do to sin. You say I'm I, I'm dead to that, and your 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 flesh carnal body may have a pull, but you say no, we're not having anything to do with it. I'm not into that anymore. I'm into being willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. I want the good of the land. I'm not messing around with sin. I'm not going to do it. Paul, the apostle, writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, said, what communion does a believer have with demons? I don't want anything to do with anything that's demonic. I'm just not into that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Nor should any believer be into that. Hallelujah. And so, my friends, that is the experience then when you begin to possess the Canaan land. Now you're in the Canaan land. Now you begin to conquer. Glory to God. And you're hitting to Zion. You're hitting to Zion. Mm-mm. Lord, we give you praise today. We give you praise. Isaiah 119, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And God can serve you some really good things to eat. I'm not just talking about food. That, that is an um, allegorical term, also to represent the good things of life. Happiness, joy, peace. Mm. The, the, what we would call the intangibles, the spiritual qualities of God in your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, if you want to secure that lifting up, that promotion, get the little foxes out, and give God your very best by being willing and obedient. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Number three, you're going to need to be self-disciplined. I want to be careful with this. I'm not a legalist. Um, I understand that the, that the law is good because we need to know the moral code of the law. I agree with the Ten Commandments because when it says, you shall not steal, that is a moral code that is eternal. And 10 million years from now, stealing is still going to be wrong. But I also know that from the New Testament perspective, that if you walk in love, you really don't have to be law conscience. Because if you walk in love, the agape love of Christ, the agape love of God, 
and you you love your brother or love the other person and treat them the way you would want to be treated well you're never you would never steal from them you would never murder okay so it's not like we have to be law focused we can be grace focused and thus fulfill the law through the love of God by the grace of God praise the Lord but that doesn't mean that you can be a spiritual slouch and perhaps that's where some have put too much of an emphasis on grace, and thus they want to exempt themselves from their own personal responsibility of having to pursue the Lord. But I believe that we see, even in the New Covenant, the need for discipline, self-discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 27, Paul the Apostle said, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So there's a place to be self disciplined. Praise God. A place where you say, I may not feel like praying, but I need to pray. Because that's the air that Christians breathe, and I need to be praying. And so you discipline yourself, and even if your body doesn't want to, as a, as a spirit being with a soul living in a body, you just say, body, like it or not, I'm getting on my knees, and I'm going to pray. That's discipline. Like it or not, we're getting up out of bed. We've had enough sleep. It's time to pray. It's time to get into the Word. I want to meditate on the Word. That's discipline. You have to discipline your body. You have to bring it into subjection. Subjection to what? To your spirit and to the word and to the directives of God. Praise God forever. So you're going to need to be self disciplined. There are those that would try to say, You don't really need that, Pastor Stephen. You just need grace, grace, grace. And I, I, I'm big on grace, I love grace. I find it one of the most fascinating, beautiful subjects in the Bible. But along with the grace of God, we still have our part to play. When we play our part, that's when that grace comes. When you discipline your body, that's when grace comes to help you. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to try. Because we see how it works in other arenas of life, and it's still the same way also in the Christian life. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. You have to give the Lord your best. I was reading an article of one of the, one of the world's greatest athletes, and he said, this is the food I eat, and I pretty much eat the same food every day. And of course, the, the, the person interviewing him said, well, isn't that boring? He said, oh yes, it's very boring. He said, I love hamburgers, but I only have a hamburger maybe two or three times a year. Because I love it, but he said, it doesn't work with my athletic assignment. And he's a gold medalist many, many times over. One of the greatest athletes in the world. But he said, I have come to the reality that if I want to keep winning, and I like winning, then I have to stick with this diet. This proven diet is what works for me. It works for my system. It's like, it's like um, 
how can we say like high octane for a vehicle this food works really good for me and it's very very boring but I've done it he said I've done it so long now for so many years that it doesn't even really bother me anymore it's just part of my lifestyle that's discipline that's discipline well pastor Stephen he should have the right to eat some pecan pie and cheesecake well he does have the right to do that and he can if he wants to but he's not going to do that why discipline and because he wants to be a winner Praise the Lord. He wants to push himself. He wants to give his pursuit of excellence his very, very best. And these things should be demonstrated in the kingdom. We should give God our very, very best. You know, we were at the television studio uh, a few days ago making final adjustments on the set. And me and one of the uh, workers there on the set, very skilled, very talented young man, we were working on a prop that was hanging on the wall. And there was another prop on this side, and there was a prop right in the middle, and the one that we were trying to hang, it just, it just wasn't lining up. And so when you looked at this, especially, of course, if you look at it with a camera, when you look at it, you're like, it's not even. It's not balanced right. And so... We take it down, move the screw, screw it in again, hang it again. It's not right. And you know what? We did it about three or four times, and you would think every time this will fix it, and it wasn't right. But see, here's the thing. This is for the Lord. This program, this set, will be used for the preaching of the gospel. I don't want something on the wall that's cockeyed, that doesn't look right. And you know what? Neither did he. And he was like me. We're going to stand here all day. And we're going to keep moving that screw back and forth until we get this right. Why? This is for the Lord. <laughs> right? And if they're going to take that type of effort for a, uh, a nightly news program to make it right, or for a sports program to make it right, you better believe for the Lord's work, we're going to make it right. And we, we kept working at it and working at it. And finally, after quite a few tries, uh, and it doesn't really make sense why this is so complicated. All we know is that it's, it's not right. We finally got it right. We looked at each other and we said, now it's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. But my, my friend, my friend, you have to understand, the Lord sees stuff like that. And He also sees if you half-bake it. And you just think, ah, oh, who cares? The Lord cares. The Lord cares. Glory to God. <clears throat> Glory to God. And you start, you start noticing even small things in relation to the honor of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. One of our dear assistants on the ministry team here, a vital, a vital person who helped so much in this ministry. She has very godly parents, and her mother is a real intercessor. And so this team member on our, our team told me, told me and my wife, she said, Pastor Stephen, when my mother gives her offerings, before she gives the offerings, she irons the money. Pastor Stephen, this is very interesting. You know what? When when you give an offering to the Lord and you take a $1 bill 
and you take it up to the offering basket and you don't even put the dollar bill in neat and flat but you why does it have to be scrunched up like it's a piece of trash why but here's a tissue why do some people take money and keep it like that in their pocket and then if they're going to give it to the Lord they just throw it in the offering basket like that oh God doesn't see that yes he does yes he does why, why give God the bills that are all wore out and tore up but you keep the good bills why not give God the good bills and you take the old wore out ones and go just take those back to the bank and exchange them all these things giving God your best from the big things to the small things he sees it and if you're not promoted there's something where you're not giving your best you know I wasn't I wasn't born with a Bible in my hand I wasn't born sitting in front of a camera teaching the Bible the call of God was on my life but before I ever got into the ministry I worked for years in a in a, in a career field job and I, I enjoyed my work and I, I gave I gave it up my all at my work it's one of the reasons why I'm not there anymore God promoted me out of it and promoted me into my true assignment which was the ministry but just because you have a calling doesn't mean you're automatically going in no, you have to qualify you have to you have to present yourself before the Lord and you have to meet the criteria of the Lord and then the Lord sees that and everything's checked off everything's done right over a period of time then then there's that that launch but I remember when I was working um, a particular job that one day they they gave our they gave us our checks but it was a day that the corporation was giving raises and so you know as an employee you don't you really don't want other people to know what you're making an hour I mean if you're telling people that you're not very wise because if you're making more uh, especially if you're in the same department they're going to get jealous so you kind of you kind of keep that to yourself but when there are raises being given you know you, you could at least you know acknowledge to your fellow employee hey you, you know if they gave they, if they ask you hey did you get a raise yes <clears throat> and uh, you know the other person would say good I got mine too everything's great uh, but, but I remember there's this one guy uh, he was there always half-hearted effort just always uh, his mind was not on his work and he, he was there for eight hours physically but maybe only got four hours of work done and just wasn't into it and somebody asked him if he got a raise yeah I got a raise they gave me a nickel an hour uh, you know a raise he was so mad because they got they gave him a five cent raise and uh, he said um he said they probably just did that to make me mad hoping I'll quit and we all looked at each other we could just read each other's minds we all thought yep that's exactly why they did that they gave you a five cent raise in a sense to disrespect you for all of your half-hearted half-baked efforts where you have no interest in the well-being of the company and you just don't even really try and so yeah you you, you are worthy of a five cent an hour raise <laughs> and eventually he quit he quit and they, and they were glad when he left get somebody in there uh, to replace him uh, who can you know you know just give a good day's work praise the Lord but my friends the Lord 
the Lord sees these things. Today I'm not really talking about your, your work or you, you know things like that. I'm talking about your heart as unto the Lord. Your service as unto the Lord. Your attitude before the Lord. Do you really give God your best? Do you really give God your best? Praise the Lord. Thank you Lord Jesus. I think the Lord is just doing an x-ray scan right now. Just kind of looking at our heart. Checking our hearts. You know when you pray, do you really pray? Or are you checking emails? Well, Pastor Stephen, it's kind of the same thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. Turn the phone off, put the phone down. Or put it on, you know, vibrate only so you won't be distracted. You know, if you're going to pray, pray. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. If you're going to study the Word, study the Word. Hallelujah. Without the TV going on in the background. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're going to help out, at the church, you're going to volunteer to do something, be there on time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The Lord sees all of these things, how His people treat Him. And it's all, it's all in the package deal of whether promotion is released. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, or, or you know, down from the south or somewhere like that. Promotion comes from the Lord. And the Lord is well able to promote and lift you up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But you have to get the little foxes out. You have to be very willing, very obedient. And you also need to be disciplined in your life. Be disciplined in your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just say, you know what? I could do those things, but I, I, you know, I've got too much to do right now. I can't do those things right now. I've got to get this accomplished first. When you do things like that, there's promotion moving towards you. Glory to God. Glory to God. I see the Lord lifting you up. I see your influence becoming greater. I see the anointing of God on your life increasing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes I, in meetings, not just in meetings, maybe over the internet, Maybe, maybe uh, of course, other times in conferences and so forth, I give people an invitation. Who'd like to join me for 90 days on the prayer school, the night school of the Spirit? Who wants to get up with me in the morning and pray? And, um, you know, who will, uh, you know, commit to seek the Lord, you know, for however long you want to do it, 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, and, and actually make a commitment to do that. But it is amazing. The very next day, how many are already out of the game before the next day even starts. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yes, Pastor Stephen, I raise my hand, I commit. But the next morning, they don't even, they don't even set the alarm, don't even get up. And it's like, it's just like, there, there's like, they're not even, in, it's like the whole thing is just kind of like some kind of like a fun thing. You know, like, almost like a carnival or something like that. But you know what? It is interesting with those who have been responding to early morning prayer the, the amazing results that people are, are receiving. The healings, the testimony of people getting up to pray and seek the Lord, not even bringing the subject of healing up to the Lord, but yet as they seek God with all their heart and want to please God and are just spending time in prayer, God comes and heals them. Amazing. The testimonies of healing of those who have received healing just by wanting to get closer to the Lord and please God. Mm. 
Lord, we give you praise. The, the testimony of people baptized in the Holy Spirit just by getting up in the morning to seek the face of God. Not even, not even asking Jesus to fill them with the Holy Spirit and tongues and uh, you know all the spiritual gifts, but getting up in the Holy Spirit, filling them with the Holy Spirit. Jesus filling them with the Holy Spirit. I told you the story, I think I'll mention it again. Um, it was just a little over a year ago. I went to buy a new vehicle, and so I'm, uh, you know, I'm working with the salesman, and he's real good, very knowledgeable, very helpful. And uh, we agree on a vehicle, we agree on a price, and um, I sign the papers, I basically buy the vehicle. Well, of course, now that I've signed the papers, he's all happy because it's signed, it's done, everything's good to go. And then he said something very surprising. He said, Pastor Stephen, he said, um, he said, I watch you on YouTube all the time. I said, you do? I said, I, I didn't even know that you, you watch me. He said, oh, yes, I know who you are. I, I've been watching you on YouTube. I thought, well, that's wonderful. And then he said something really, really unusual. He said, Pastor Stephen, he said, do you remember the 90-day prayer challenge that you gave for people to get up for 90 days uh, and spend time in the morning with the Lord? I said, yes. He said, I did that, and I completed it. I said, you did? I said, I said, that's amazing. I said, and you didn't miss any days or anything like that? He said, no, I didn't miss any days. He said, I got up early every morning, spent time with the Lord. He says, a fantastic experience, fantastic experience. And he said, he said, I would get up each morning, and I would get up real early, and I'd put my time in with the Lord. And he put, he put over a tithe in every single morning, two hours and 24 minutes, just out of hunger for God. And he said, I had a calendar, and I marked the days off. Day one, black check mark, accomplished. Day two, black check mark, accomplished. Day three, four, five, six. He said, I got to day 19, and after my early morning prayer on day 19, I marked it off with a red check mark. Okay, now this is all going on while I'm sitting, in a guy, sitting down in a, in, a, in, a, in a dealership with a guy buying a vehicle, who I don't know has watched my programs, and I, and I certainly didn't know was you know, getting up early in prayer and doing these things that I've been teaching. I said, so what's up with the red check mark as compared to the black check marks and all the other days? He said, Pastor Stephen, I got up very early. I'm spending time with the Lord, praying, seeking God, and this language began to come out of my mouth. I said, you, you began to speak in tongues? He said, yes. I said, you've never done that before? He said, never in my life. And I said, nobody taught you how to do it. He said, no. He said, I just, I knew it's in the Bible. <laughs> he said, it just started coming out of me. And I just began to speak it out, released it. And it just started flowing. Just started flowing. I said, so Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit. And you're getting up early in the morning to seek God. And Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. He said, yes. I said, how amazing is that? And he finished the whole 90 days. Glory. Glory, glory, promotion, blessing. Pastor Stephen, how can I know, how can I know that God sees when I've given Him my best? Because look, we all know when we haven't. But how can we know that when you just empty the tank and you give God your best, how can you know that God is aware of that? Because He is aware, how can you know? different ways. 
different ways. Learn, learn now. Some of you need to write this down. Learn the language of the Spirit. You don't, you don't always need a thunderous voice to come booming out of heaven. You, you may get that once in your lifetime. You may never have that happen in your lifetime. That's okay. But how, how can you get the prophetic language where you know God's happy? Okay, let me tell you a few ways of how I know when I've emptied the tank and I give God my best that God saw it, God is very pleased about it, and God's happy about it. Sometimes after I've given my best on a project or an assignment or a meeting or something special that God really needed me to rise up on, He, he responds through the prophetic witness of food, of food. Glory to God. I preached one time in northern India, not very far from the Himalayan mountains, and the meetings were going really good, but we couldn't get the breakthrough. The speakers were all bringing really good messages. Their speakers were all anointed, and the meetings were going well. But everybody was looking for a breakthrough. Well, one day, I knew I was going to minister in the evening. I had all day to get ready. I took the whole day, and I just stayed before the Lord. Lord, what is the word for this night? What is the message? And I kept seeking the Lord, kept seeking the Lord. And finally, after spending all day with Him, finally, He gave me the message. He gave me the revelation. And I knew before I ever went in there, I said, I just knew when I share this, we're going we're gonna to hit the glory. And I shared the message that night, and the glory failed. I'm, I'm, I'm talking the Holy Spirit came in so strong, I couldn't even preach anymore. It just, he, he was all over the people with mighty manifestations. It was wonderful. Now, up until that time, they were feeding me. They, they had even heard that Stephen Brooks likes pizza. And, you know, a few days earlier, when the meetings were just starting, they, out of their love for me, they had brought me a pizza. The local people attending the conference had bought me a pizza. And they all watched me as I ate it. And when I ate it, I smiled. But the truth be told, it tasted like eating, like eating cardboard. I mean, it'd be like biting this. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was bad. It tasted horrible, but they, they, they had found the pizza they had cooked it, baked it, and, and, and they, they all want to see me eat it because they know I like pizza. And I ate it, and I smiled. And it, it left the flavor in my mouth of like sawdust. But I praised God for it, and the meetings continued on. But when we had that breakthrough that night, that night it was heavy, heavy glory. And after, after I was done ministering, uh, uh, it, it just kept on going to way in the night. But they took me to the side to feed me. After we had the breakthrough, a pizza showed up for me. Until this day, I don't know who bought it, where it came from. And when they served me this pizza, and uh, of course, many are still being ministered to by the Spirit, so they're not in there, but others, they wanted to see me eat the pizza. This pizza, I, it must have come from heaven. This was beyond the pizza that anybody on the planet could cook. And I knew when I ate it, it was just the Lord saying, I'm pleased. Thank you for the effort. Thank you for the effort because of your love for the people that you just sought me with everything you had so that you could get that message uh, to release the breakthrough. And that food was phenomenal. I mean, that pizza was, it was from an, another realm. Hallelujah. 
When I was just in Albuquerque just a few days ago ministering, I, while I was there, I, I didn't really eat anything because um, there were some people there that were very, very sick with critical conditions, and the theme of the conference was healing the incurable. So I had backed off on the food. I had really bumped up my prayer time because I was really leaning on the Lord to touch these people. They, they needed a miracle touch. And there was one service where a person who needed a miracle, who had brain cancer, was in the meeting. And when I laid hands on that person at night, the next day, the person said, the, when I prayed over them, the power of God rushed into their body with a force they had never experienced in their life before. And so I knew God was happy. And so I had one more meeting, finished that next meeting, and I just knew that God was so happy. I went back to my hotel room, tired, hungry, and I decided to order room service at a hotel. Well, you know, hotel food can be good, but it's not really like hotel food is known for knocking the ball out of the park. But I ordered a, a, a dish that was like a curry meal. I love Indian curry food. Ooh, I love it. And, uh, but it's got to be good, or else, you know, it can kind of let your hopes down. Well, I ordered this meal just thinking it'll maybe be in the ballpark of good. When they brought this, this dish to my hotel room, and I sat down to eat it, it tasted like this was made somewhere in the, in the heavenly city. This Indian curry was so good. Um, whoever was in that, whoever, whoever their chef was cooking out in that hotel kitchen, whoo, glory to God. I don't know where they got him or her for, but it, uh, from, but it was amazing. It was food beyond human ability to prepare or cook. It was so good. It was God saying through food, thank you for giving it your very, very best. And he's done that many times through food. Now watch this. You're going to have the same types of experiences. That witness, when you give, you, give him your best, he'll witness to you in many different wonderful expressions that he sees it. It's like the coach patting you on the back saying, you gave it your best. And, and it lifts the whole team. Sometimes he'll do it through music. One time, um, I had a very trying situation. It stretched me. And I, I really extended myself in the life of a person. And when it was when it was completed, when I'd done all that I could do, and it was it was understanding uh, as Paul would say, patience, long suffering, and joy. The long suffering doesn't mean that you stay sick for a long time. That's not what that means. Long suffering in the Greek is a word used to describe having to deal with people that are difficult to deal with. Well, patience, long-suffering, and enduring those things with joy, when this was, the moment it was complete, and I knew I can, I can hand off the baton, I'm done, I did the best I could do for, for an extended period of time, I went and I sat down in the car, and when I started the car up to leave, uh, the radio, I guess, was just automatically on. It wasn't turned off, so the radio turns on, and the first thing that came out of the speakers was hallelujah. It was the hallelujah course by Handel. And it was just the Lord saying, you did it. You are now free. 
and the Lord said thank you and it was just like a absolutely happy hilarious moment where I knew the Lord had seen all of my efforts and the angelic choir was saying hallelujah <laughs> God does those things as witness I've, I've had it many times sometimes when I give God my very best I extend myself in a way we could say going the second mile Jesus said if they asked if they you know the Roman soldier asked you to go a mile which they had the legal right to the man that you carry their gear for a mile Jesus said go two with them the old saying is that the first mile works on you the second mile works on him because he's wondering why are you carrying the second mile this is not required why are you doing this you're making me uncomfortable and so then it begins to deal with his his heart and his conscience praise the Lord well when I extend often with the second mile after I've completed my second mile I often get these songs and sometimes it'll be a song unexpected unplanned excuse me unplanned unrehearsed or anything like that but a song somehow I'll hear it it'll come through from somewhere to me sometimes the Holy Spirit will sing it but it'll be a song that just soothes me and it's a song of the Lord saying, I saw your efforts, let me soothe you, let me make you happy, I'm going to let you have some me time now, and God's basically saying, I'm going to bless you now, and then oftentimes there's, there's monetary reward, financial reward, there is refreshing, there's blessing, it's just all of these things are flowing, but that comes out of you giving your best. And if you give God your very, very best, you will eat the good of the land and he'll witness that you gave your best even through food Woo! wow and through other experiences he'll he's very very prophetic I get it through food and I get it through music a lot and then also by just the blessings flowing oh hallelujah hallelujah but if you hold back from the Lord you're holding back on your fulfillment of your assignment of your destiny you're going to have to give God your all. You're not going to be able to get around this some other way. You're going to have to give Him your best if you really want to go to Zion. Hallelujah. The destiny of every believer. The high place in God. Father, I pray for your people right now that your anointing be upon their lives for strength to go all the way with you. Now, I, re I rebuke fear some of you have been taken advantage of and you, you, you were unrighteously you had extracted all of your gifts and talents in a way that maybe it wasn't so much for the kingdom or for the Lord it was poured on a selfish person and so the Lord brings healing right now and you're going to be a lot better in the future in sowing into the kingdom into righteous causes righteous purposes Thank you, Father. You're going to be able to differentiate between what's of the Spirit and what's, you know, just soulish. Hallelujah. So you're going to pour into the things of God, and then God, God will reward you. Hallelujah. Others, you have fear of holding back that you'll be disappointed. But you're going to actually find out the joy in giving God your very, very best. And sometimes it will be difficult. Sometimes you sense the weight or the burden but you know you have to go until you get 
there until you get that thing accomplished. And when you do, when you do, the Lord will bear witness to it, and you'll be so glad. And that peace that is in your heart is so rewarding. It's so rewarding. That's the way you need to live your life, and that's the way you need to finish your life. Father, I pray for your people. Strength in the name of Jesus, that they may give you their best. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I see some of you. There's a small section. Some of you, you've given the Lord scraps, and you're puzzled why you're stuck where you're at. It's because you give others the best. Maybe maybe this the best over here, but the Lord gets the remnant leftovers, and He knows that, and He knows that, and it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for promotion. You, you, you still make it to heaven. God still loves you. But He doesn't want you to stay like that. Praise the Lord. God wants you to give Him, Him, your best. Father, we thank You for grace in Jesus' name to live this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. I see your promotion is coming swiftly. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's take communion together. Please grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. Leaven was a representation of sin. And so unleavened bread, the body of Christ, unleavened, no sin. He was the sinless sacrifice. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We consecrate it. This is holy. This is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus, our Savior. Father, Jesus gave his all. He didn't hold anything back from you. Thank you, O God. Let his nature, his heart, be in us, where we lay our lives down for you and for others. We thank you, Father. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's receive the body of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Father, thank you for your patience with us. As so many of these things, we are learning how to please you. We are growing in the knowledge of you. So, Father, by your word, by your spirit, teach us how to honor you. Teach us how to please you. Teach us how to give you our best. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us now receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look for those witnesses of the Spirit. Food. Sound. Music. A word. Watch how God will confirm 
through prophetic witness of the Spirit to you that you're right on track. He sees it. He sees it. What's coming? You're lifting up. God bless you. Thank you for watching. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.